Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. I'm Tyler Tischler in Marquette, Michigan. And I'm Victor Volkman with Loving Healing Press in Ann Arbor, Michigan. It's October 16th, 2008, and welcome to episode number 72 in our series. Tonight's topic is Illustrating and Designing Children's Books, and our special guest who will be joining us this hour is Kevin Collier. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. Please send us your questions and comments to info at authorsaccess.com. Now, tonight we're on the line with Kevin Collier, who is the author and or illustrator of almost 100 books to date. A book he illustrated won the New York Book Festival. Another one has been reviewed favorably by the New York Times, which, as we know, reviews only a handful of the tens of thousands of books. As a favor for a minister's wife, Kevin did some quick illustrations for a poem called Topsy Turvy Land. He never imagined that she would send those sketchy drawings done in three days to a publisher. That book was voted one of the top 50 children's books of all time by World Magazine in 2006. Wow. He is also a critically acclaimed author. His first chapter book, Barth Penn at Heaven.org, was called a masterpiece of communication, and he received the Craig's Choice Award for children's fiction. His second chapter book, Esther's Channel, received five stars on Amazon.com. Literary professionals have said that Kevin is the next C.S. Lewis and that his writing sets the standards for children's literature. Kevin, most recently, has begun working on an upcoming show called Drawing for Kicks, which will be broadcast nationally and possibly internationally on Christian television stations. An offshoot of internationally broadcast show Kicks Club, Drawing for Kicks features Kevin, his son Jared, and some of Jared's classmates. Part reality show, part art class and all fun, Drawing for Kicks is shot primarily in Grand Haven, Michigan, as well as parts of Ohio. Well, Kevin, uh, you've been quite busy. Welcome to our show. Thanks, Victor. Yeah, I keep busy. Keeps me out of trouble. <laughs> I'm thrilled to have you here tonight, Kevin. Victor already told us a little bit about your background there and how you got started illustrating the Topsy Turvy Land book, but could you tell us a little bit more about uh, how you fell into becoming an illustrator and what about um, being an illustrator would a person um, need to do if they were looking to, to do that themselves? Okay, where do I start, Tyler? Um, I was always an artist, at least since five years old when I picked up a pen, piece of paper. And when I stumbled into the book market in 2003 and had my first book published as a writer, an author in 2004, I, seeing that I'd always been an illustrator and an artist, I did comic strips for local newspapers and such, even drew some comic books at one time. I just decided, that, well, perhaps out there in the children's book market, which I'm already in, uh, there would be someone who is looking for an illustrator, some publisher or writer. So I kind of threw some uh, fishing lines out there, and I, I caught a couple jobs, and it's just spiraled since then. Um, I think the other part of your question was how, how would a writer look for an illustrator online, or if you're uh, going through a particular publisher, they can match you up. A lot of publishers have artist pools, uh, artists that they work with that are uh, stringers. They're not actually, actually on staff like um, Sometimes they are employed by the publisher. Sometimes they are just freelancers that the publisher 
knows is competent and can do the work, and um, the author can hire them, or it can be a royalty agreement where the, uh, the illustrator, like myself, would get a percentage of the profit as opposed to being outright hired where they'd buy all of the artwork at once and sort of own the copyright to it. So uh, the writers uh, usually can find out about illustrators through the publishers that they're contracting with. Um, there will be some recommendations there. We also we have lots of our listeners who tend to be um, self-published, and so could you give us some advice for them about how to how to choose an illustrator? I, I know I I've seen many self-published books where the author has a maybe a, a niece who's a graphic artist or something. And they hire them to do the illustrations, or you know somebody that maybe even just a a relative who has just taken art class and they decide to have them do the illustration. So how how do you really go about finding a quality illustrator that's that's going to make your book shine? Now, Tyler, like I said, um, um, some of these publishers have artist pools. And mm-hmm. in particular, vanity press operations do, or self-publishing companies, where a writer would want to uh, pay a sum of money to uh, have their work published instead of being contracted by a, tradi- a traditional publisher who would um, sign you up and, and foot the bill for it and help dis- and get it distributed and everything. This is um, an arrangement where uh, a writer may, can't can't find a traditional publisher like that, so decides, mm-hmm. well, I, I I feel I'm good enough. I want to get out there. I want to get my book on Amazon and Barnes and Noble online, and I'm willing to foot the money to go to print. And a lot of these companies uh, perform a really good service. Uh, as far as the quality product, they have editors on staff that will edit the work and um, uh, good printing facilities that uh, produce great color work for picture books. Um, and these companies, uh, several of them I work for or have worked for, uh, like Libris, Outskirts, uh, Press, um, what are some other ones, LifeFest Publishing, um, Dragon Pencil Publishing, um, there's others, but they will have me listed is one of their artists on staff or uh, well, a freelancer. So if somebody goes to them and they have a story and they want it illustrated as a picture book, they can go click on a little menu there, pull-down menu, and check out the artists that they would that, that company works with or recommends. If they like my style, then they um, contact me or the publisher contacts me. There's so many different ways that they can get through to the artist. It's, it's unreal. Sometimes it's the writer that I would directly work with. Other times... It's the publisher, and I'm unable to communicate with the writer. So it's, there's all different kinds of arrangements. But somebody that wants to self-publish, usually when they go to a self-publishing operation, they will find artists there that are listed, and they can check out their works and maybe pick one on staff. Of course, they can pick some, like you said, a friend, maybe a cousin or a relative like that, or a, a person that they know that is talented, and some of these companies will let those individuals in if you supply the artwork, the right resolution, um, the right color scheme, that kind of stuff. So if it fits their print specifications, sure, you could bring in your own artist so you wouldn't have to hire one from the, so from the, um, from the print, from the uh, vanity press. Once you then get, a, a, say, an author that's interested in having you be their illustrator, um, especially when you're working through those kinds of companies, do you have much say in what which books you get to illustrate, or are there are there certain books that you would not illustrate, and other things that you consider like your area of expertise for illustrating? Oh yeah, it's you know 
uh, somebody that contacts me, uh, as an example, Dragon Pencil Publishing, like, would contact me and they'd say, well, we have an author that has a book about a dog, and she's interested in having you as an artist. Well, I can review the script, and if I don't like it, I can turn it down. I don't have to take it. In other words, I'm not obligated to take something. You know, if, I, if I don't really like it, I can turn it down. Um, and um, other companies where uh, LifeVest Publishing, you see an example, who's a, a self-publishing vanity press operation, very good one, in fact. They um, will put the author in touch with me, and I'll work directly with the author. And um, it's a more intimate setting where we're exchanging emails, and um, I help determine help them determine how many pictures their book will need, too. And it, I actually go a little beyond just being an illustrator. I also advise them on, like, page count. You don't want to get a book that's too many pages because every additional page you add ups the price of the retail cost of the book. So you don't want to be out there with a book that costs $25 as paperback that's, you know, 12 pages. <laughs> you just don't, I, mean, that, I mean, that's 30 pages, let's say, when you can do it in 12. So I'll often advise them, too, about, let me take a look at your story, send me your manuscript. This is what I see. We could break it down to this minimum. I could make, really make it look nice. Um, and so, so, no, I don't have to take the work of the, the assignment if I don't want to. And sometimes um, the subject matter is such, like you were hinting at, um, that it's maybe not my forte. Uh, if it's a book about horses, I don't really draw horses that well, so I might pass it off to a friend which is what I do sometimes, too, uh, Tyler. So I have friends out there that are illustrators, and I'll even uh, I'll recommend to the person that's approached me, I'll say, you know, this really isn't my expertise here. Uh, you know, I'm better at drawing elephants than horses. And I'll, I'll, I'll say, I know someone else that might want to do this for you. They'll probably charge the same amount so I can pass on a job to somebody else. And um, sometimes it's the subject matter, too. I remember there was a book, that, a script that I received, that was about a dog that went around biting people. <laughs> it attacked kids on the way home from school. Well, I, you know, I don't want to draw that. I mean, I'm sure I laugh about it, but, you know, it's like, you know, I'm not into drawing that kind of stuff. And uh, there was another book about, oh, I won't even go into it, but so, some of it gets really bizarre. Um, but, yeah, I get, to, I get to pick what I want. I can turn out a job if I don't want it. Well, and um, looking... and, and we're, really it comes down to... Um, there's been jobs that I've taken that I wasn't that impressed with, the writing. But when you put the illustrations in there, it's, it's a good book. You know, it's half and half. It tells the story, and when you get the nice illustrations in there, it really becomes something. So, Yeah, I just okay. want to mention, since um, we are talking about illustrations, uh, your website here is kevinscottcollierhomepage.blogspot.com. Yeah, or so just kevinscottcollier.com will link Kevin, up to it too. Okay, so Kevin Scott Collier, Collier, C-O-L-L-I-E-R.com. And so there's wonderful pictures here of lots of the things that you've illustrated. And I, in asking you about what, what kinds of things you're comfortable with, I'm really struck by there's, there's a definite, um, I can tell that you have a definite style to your illustrations, but at the same time I can see a lot of variety in some of them, such as the, the cover of Natalie's Ark is, is not, you know, a cartoon. Well, the, type hey, of a you style got the one or... that I didn't draw, Tyler. I didn't draw that. Oh, um, that's oh, the one I'm I didn't sorry. draw. Yeah, in fact, I, I I hired an artist friend to illustrate the cover of that book because it's a chapter book my wife and I wrote. So I, I always kind of do it that way. If it's a chapter book, 
that I've written. I'll have another artist do the cover because I want to be featured as the writer and not necessarily the illustrator. Oh, okay. That makes sense. But on picture books, I, I can write and draw them, and I don't see any problem with that. Yeah. But, but one thing you do mention your other ones, there, is there is I, try to, I try to be versatile. Yeah, I try to be really versatile with it, too, where um, it's like uh, every project they do, well, some of them, they have a distinctive style where it's cartooning kind of flavor to it. But sometimes they get a little abstract, and, and I use different art styles because I think it's cool to be versatile because you can tackle more jobs that way. I think it's very impressive, too, when somebody looks at a bunch of books and they, keep, they can't tell it's the same artist that did it. Because some mm -hmm. artists are so distinctive in their style that right away you can spot who they are. So I like to play around a little bit where, oh, Kevin drew that? I, did, I didn't know that. So it's, it's, it's kind of nice to be versatile because it's like you're, then you're selling yourself as an artist uh, like you're many artists, mm -hmm. many different styles or, or, or ways to do it. And you, and you can be flexible for your different clients then. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So when they come to me, they know they aren't going to get the same artwork that I just produced in that dog book or something. They're going to get a different-looking dog or a different style altogether. Okay, great. Uh, Kevin, let's hear a little bit about the myth of the so-called temperamental artist. What happens when an author wants to... What are you talking about, Dave? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> You're trying to rile me up. Micromanage is the word I'm trying to spit out. <laughs> Oh, is it a myth or is it a truth? Well, that's a good question. There are some temperamental artists. I, I have a lot of artists that are friends that I don't really chum around with because uh, they think art is kind of a fashion statement. You know, I don't walk around with Christmas lights all over me. Yeah. And, you know what I mean? I, I'm just not that kind of a guy. I just, I just happen to draw pictures, okay? I'm an artist, <laughs> but I'm also a human being. Like, I don't have to walk around with my uh, piercings in my face and blue <laughs> hair, you know? So a lot of the artists I don't socialize with because they're way out. They're kind of far out. The uh, temperamental artist thing, you can have artists that have attitudes. Um, a lot of the artists are, are left-leaning. Um, but as far as temperamental, yeah, there are some that are um, that way that are hard to work with. And I think it's because they still maybe live in their parents' basement and they want to control everything. But I think most of it is that um, artists get accused of being temperamental by writers because writers will hire them, but then want to play artists. Exactly. So they want to go, you know what, Here, uh, I turn in a picture to them, they go, well, do you think it would look better if there was a lamp in the background? Well, first of all, there's not a lamp in your story. You know, Victor, <laughs> most of what I draw in these stories for people that are writers are objects that are in the background and different things going on that aren't even in the story. Huh. In Topsy Turvy Land, the very first book I illustrated, in, um, came out in July 2005. There's one picture in there where there's a little boy in a beach build a sandcastle. And in the background, in the water, is, a, is an orange whale. And once in a while, the author gets a question about, uh, what's the name of the orange whale? Well, I just threw it out in the water there for fun. <laughs> so it's like, if you let an artist be creative, you'll put a whole bunch of stuff in there that isn't in the story. Now, Victor, if I get a story and it says, okay, got a vase over here, we got a door over here, a window over here, the dog has to be sitting on the couch, and the couch has to be green, and blah, 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 blah. They're leaving no room for interpretation. And you know what? It's boring, too, because if the story says the dog sat on the green couch by the window near the lamp, you know, You've already described it. Why should I draw it? You know? Yeah. So it's like, yeah. I, so what happens is 
we get accused of being temperamental because the writer wants to play artist. And I remember one book I illustrated, a fairy tale book. I don't know when this was, a year or two ago. But it got down to this woman was um, talking about, this author lady was talking about tennis shoes. In, 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 in the image that I was drawing, the tennis shoes, Victor, were about the size, the smaller the postage stamp. That's how small it was on the original artwork. Okay. And she said, well, the laces are wrong. And I thought, let me get my leg magnifying glass out. I don't even see the laces. What are you talking about? So, you know, it's, so it gets to the point. The artists, get, well, some of the writers, some of them get nervous. And they're thinking, well, this is my big break. This is my big book. And they become meddlesome with the artwork. Well, first of all, if you like my art and you hired me, let me do my thing. Victor, I don't go to the hospital and tell the surgeon where to cut. <laughs> good, you know? good. I'm glad you don't. <laughs> well, if I do, maybe you should you know, cut my head off. I don't know. But it's like, so I don't want the writers playing artists. Sure, give advice. You know, I like a relationship there where we can, you know, interact on ideas. But I think what happens is the artist gets accused of being temperamental because the writer starts to meddle in the creative process. Instead of the artist that they chose to trust and love the work to do the book, let him be creative and just set him free on it. Instead, you've got to get in there and tinker with this and tinker with that. And, and, and then it gets to another level where sometimes... The writers want you to make endless revisions that really aren't revisions. Okay, let's say there's a story I'm writing, and it said the yellow bus, you know, sped by. And I draw a red car. Well, obviously, that's a mistake. Yeah. You've got to put in the yellow bus. I'll correct that. But if there's no yellow bus in the scene, and they say, well, I just got a great idea. How about if we put a yellow bus way in the background, and it's the size of your thumbnail, you know? It's like, how does that add to the story? And what it happens is the artist starts to get irritated because it really has nothing to do with the story. The writer's becoming meddlesome in the creative process. They want to play artists. You know, hey, if you want to do that, draw your own book. You know, draw your own book. And, and, and then, essentially, the artist gets trapped in a position where they're doing these endless revisions, and they're working for free. Now, I wouldn't expect a writer to work for free. Why would a writer expect their artist to work for free? Exactly. You know, instead of spending 20 hours on a project, I'm going to make it 40 because I want to change the spots on the curtains 10 times, <laughs> you know, in the background. I want to, you know, put in the lampshade, a little square lampshade. It's not even in the story. Don't worry about the lampshade. It's one of those deals. So you can see I'm getting riled up thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's when they, uh, that, that's why we get accused of it sometimes. I know a lot of artists uh, that are uh, illustrating children's books, and they'll tell you the same thing. That, that, that they get into it sometimes with an individual or uh, a writer, and um, they'll be uh, trapped in revisionist purgatory, uh, re changing things all the time, just because, really, it's sometimes the writer is, like, indecisive or, or, or can't make up their mind. And it's like, well, not on my dime, okay? You know, I, I, I want to, when I get a project, I do prototype characters for the book. They've got a dog, a cat, a hippo, whatever it is. I'll do illustrations of what the characters look like. Yeah. Send them to the artist or the writer, and like I did with Joe Osborne, which we did for a Loving Healing Press, your, your publishing company, we did uh, Sam Feels Better Now. And so I sent her illustrations in advance about how the characters could look. When we tweaked them and when she liked them, it's just a cake walk through the story. It's the same little boy, different positions, doing different things. So... Um, that's the temperamental artist thing. I went on too long about that. 
apologize. No, it's it's interesting perspective here because usually I don't get to hear that side of the story. <laughs> it gets crazy. And we'd like to interrupt our broadcast for just a moment to announce our first collaborative book, Authors Access, 30 Success Secrets for Authors and Publishers, edited by Irene Watson, Tyler Tischler, and me, Victor Volkman. This book contains the distilled wisdom of more than two dozen guests to our show in an easy-to-read, easy-to-understand reference, organized into chapters that reflect the life cycle of your books. Authors Access, 30 Success Secrets for Authors and Publishers, lets you learn about the best practices and avoid pitfalls in writing, editing, cover design, marketing, book reviews, online presence, genre and children's books, and many other key topics. Our book will be officially launched at the 5th Annual Essence of Motown Literary Jam Weekend, November 6th through 9th in Detroit, Michigan. More information at www.essenceofmotown.com. As a special thank you to everyone who comes out for this event, we'll include a free Best of Authors Access CD-ROM jam-packed with MP3 files from all our shows for each person who buys a book in person at this event. And for more information about the book, just go to our homepage, www.authorsaccess.com and click on Success Secrets in the upper left corner. And now we return you back to our show. It's crazy. I'll tell you another one, just for fun. Please. There was a book I did a couple years ago, and it had in it a turtle. It was a picture book, and the turtle had a rainbow shell. So if you can imagine the shell of the turtle, this little cute turtle just walking upright on his, you know, on his legs there. Yeah. He's got this little shell, and it's kind of like an umbrella, and it's divided up into six different colors. And the lady, I, start, I draw the turtle, and then I get her story, and she says, well, you know what, Dora the Explorer is really it's cool now, really popular. Can we put a backpack on the turtle? <laughs> and we went back and forth, back and forth. I said, ma'am, when you put a backpack on the turtle... You can't see his rainbow shell. And she said, well, maybe a smaller backpack. How about no backpack? There was no backpack in the story. Why do you got to have a backpack? It's just like, you let, let's go in my church and put aluminum foil all over the uh, stained glass windows. I mean, it, it just defeated the whole idea. It's like a coworker I worked with at the newspaper one time. She put a piece of artwork on the copy machine, and she said, I want to enlarge this, but I don't want it to get any bigger. It's like, then leave it alone. <laughs> it's like, you know, you don't have a rainbow shell and you need to cover it up with a backpack. So finally I talked to her, to her into, okay, we'll start with the backpack. But in three drawings, this turtle's got to get rid of it because kids have to see the rainbow shell. So we did get rid of it. And actually, <laughs> the turtle, like, sticks it behind a tree, so it never even takes the backpack with him. So it's just like I, I discarded it. I just threw it out in the bushes. <laughs> get, on with the, get on with the story. <laughs> oh, well. I've ranted enough about that. <laughs> okay. What is the biggest mistake you see authors make when you take on illustration? Biggest mistake? Oh, when they want to play artists. That's one of it. One of the things. Um, they can, now, hey, they, if they're paying for the job and going through a vanity press, they should get the characters they want. 
granted, they should get what they pay for, they should get what they want. But if you choose an artist that you like and they can't really develop the characters you want, let them go. Get somebody else. You know, don't, don't just spin them around and stuff like that. So, biggest mistake. Hmm. That, that, that would be one of... Um, another thing is, um, don't go if you're a writer. Now, if, let's say you have a cast. You have, okay, you have a bunny rabbit. He's clearly described in the story as wearing a, a striped uh, necktie and he's got a little vest on. Yeah. And he's wearing glasses and that's part of the story. Okay. I got, part of the, I got the clue, you know, I know how to draw them already, pretty much. Maybe it doesn't say his color, so we'll work on that. But um, it, unless you've got your characters clearly described in a book, be open to interpretation. Because, you know what, an artist is going to really bring out a story, a good artist, where you're going to see things that you never even dreamed of. And all of a sudden, the stories, the, the, the illustrations are part of the story. There, you're actually, you think you've read more than what there is in the book because you've seen so much. So it's like, I'm not always going to draw, let's say if there's text on a right-hand page and a, draw, a full-color drawing on the left-hand facing page, I'm not always going to draw precisely what it says in that text. I'm going to add other things. I'm going to change the camera angles. I'm gonna, so it's like, best advice for an author, uh, let's say if they're doing a little picture book, is not go into a job having everything down in your mind of how you think it should be. Because the, 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 a good artist is going to look at your story, hold on to it like a little baby, like an infant. Rock that little baby and just, you know, <laughs> feed it, diaper it, <laughs> everything. I mean, we're going to try to bring out the best in that and create something good for you. The, art, the, uh, the artist's name is on the book. We don't want to look like clowns. We want to do the best we can. So it's like trust. So trust the artist. If you like the artist, you know, you don't get an artist that's, you know, lousy or that it doesn't do good certain uh, creatures well. You know, you're going to pick somebody you already admire or you like their work. Well, then just let them run with it. So don't go in with any preconceived ideas. If it isn't already in your story, well described, see what the artist comes up with. You might be surprised. Sounds like great advice. Well, Kevin, I wanted to ask you a little bit more, since I made the mistake of mentioning the book that you didn't uh, do the cover for, um, could you tell oh, us a little a bit about... She's a wonderful artist. She's well, no, I, I know, but uh, this is about you tonight. So, okay. um, but, but tell us a little bit about like how you as an author decide to pick an illustrator then, in that case. like what kind of a, When you're on the other side of the of the fence there and uh, have the chance to be the, the temperamental author, what, what are you looking for and, and how do you, do, do you stay out of the whole illustrating process or do you stick your nose into it and how do you decide who's the right person to do your books? Well, I can be a temperamental writer. <laughs> no, not really. That's a joke. What I, what I do is if I, if I hire an, uh, an illustrator, to do something I've written by my rule of, you know, I don't want others to do to me. You know, I'm not going to do it to them. Um, I let them run with it. I do. I give them a brief description of maybe, you know, the cover of Natalie's Ark is on my website. It's a chapter book my wife and I wrote. And there's some animals in a boat with a little girl. Well, all I said was the girl's got brown hair. And then there needs to be a, a light-colored cat because it's described that way in the book. So I kind of describe it and then just go... That's all you need to know. These animals, this little girl, brown hair, that's it. And she comes up with it. So I'm not meddlesome when it comes to the other artists. I'll pick an artist that I admire, and I won't, I won't play that game with them. You know, They're going to draw it. I want them to do what they want. 
I trust that they're going to do good work, and I appreciate it. I really do. So, yeah, I don't get involved with the artists. Let them have fun with it. Well, also earlier you mentioned uh, printing books, and when you are the illustrator, you're helping them make decisions about things such as how many pages would be in the book, and I'm Mm -hmm. wondering... Um, both for your own books and for books that you have illustrated, if you can tell us a little bit more about that, especially the cost, because I know color is so expensive, and I hear a lot about people shipping books off to China to get them printed because it's it's cheaper that way. And so, it, mm-hmm. when a person is looking for not just not just an illustrator but a printer, what what do they need to know about making sure that their colors are going to be the colors that they actually want and the quality that they want and get, well, some you know, of these get the best for like, Well, Tyler, what I say to that is, let's say they're going to a a, a self-publishing company or vanity press company. Um, ask around first off. Um, uh, people will come to me and they'll say, you know, I want to self-publish and this and that. And what, or, or, or sometimes they're even going to publish with one self-publisher. And I'll say, have you signed a contract yet? And they go, no. And I go, well, you want to look around, you know, because I don't want to betray anybody either, but there are some companies that are better than others. They're better for distribution. They're better for print quality. Um, you know, like Victor's company, you know, the uh, Loving Healing Press, their print quality is really good. Um, LifeFest is really good. So you're going to want to look for a good print quality, but you're going to want to look for a reasonable price. You really are if you're going to self-publish. And um, the killer of all books is price. It really is. Um, when, when you see a, a book, I, I try to keep most of the picture books I do or authors that I work with, recommend to them, keep it about 20 pages Keep it 20, you know, around 24, no more than 30. You know, an educational book, it's, it's a lot different. It's a curriculum book or uh, a therapeutic book or something. That, that's a lot different. But when you're talking about your average uh, entertainment-oriented children's picture book, cost-effective, um, low price. I mean, example, I just did a book not too long ago for an author, and I won't go in, get into the details in case they're listening, um, but... The book came out it was a paperback, and it had a $25 retail price, and it was only 20 pages. You know what? Nobody's going to buy that. I mean, maybe Grandma and Grandpa and um, Aunt Sue and <laughs> your sister, but that's about it. So um, I try to give advice to people that come to me, too. Um, one person came to me and said, I'm going to need about 54 illustrations for my story. I read the story, and I said, you know what? You'd get away with 12. You know, 54 illustrations, 54 full-color illustrations. It's going to make your book so expensive, nobody will buy it, number one. Um, and none of those and extra illustrations doesn't necessarily help a book. It doesn't. There's got to be a limit to everything. I mean, a limit to the story. It's got to complement one another. You just can't, you know, so I remember some artists, uh, writers would come to me and they said, well, maybe more illustrations would make it better. And I thought, no, better writing would make it better. You know, you've got to have a story to start with. So... Um, uh, what I try to do is give advice to new writers. Uh, I don't try. I, I sound kind of a, uh, passionate here, but I'm very encouraging when people write to me. I want them to come out with a good product. I really do, and I want to help them as writers also. If I can help them with their writing, um, with their editing, um, I even take their stories sometimes, their manuscripts, and I break I break them up into how many illustrations I see, and I say. Okay, I see 12 illustrations here. This could be done effectively with 17 or 20. Or, so I give them a number and then I quote them a price, that kind of thing. Because they don't need to pay an artist 
And they don't need to buy too much art. They don't, because that's at a cost that they're going to have to figure into their book also. Now, let's say if you're self-publishing. First of all, it's going to cost you money to go to print. It's going to cost you money to hire the artist. It's going to cost you buyers if your book price is too high. So you've got to think about all those things. A lot of them think, oh, more is better. And, and, and really, seriously, this is, a, this is a big myth that everybody runs into in the book market. I'm a writer and an illustrator. Is you go out there. I remember when my first book was published in 2004. I was the writer of it, chapter book. And right away, I'm thinking, not necessarily a million copies, but I'm thinking, well, this book's going to take off. It's going to be a success. It's going to be. It did okay. You know, it sold a couple thousand copies. But over time, I mean, it wasn't, you know, some people, they sell hundreds of thousands of copies. So, but, but the myth is, is like, I have a published book, therefore it shall be a success. Not mm-hmm. true. Not true. There's some books that I have that sell better than others. There's some that I thought were sure things and don't sell as good as some oddity that I never put any faith into. An example is, I'm rambling on here, uh, Monty the Traveling Cat, uh, written uh, by uh, by a lady friend of mine. I I illustrated that book. It was very cute. But it's um, the last book I ever thought would win a book award, and it won the New York Books Festival, first place in the children's division. And I did it. I mean, I liked the book. It was really cute. But at the same time, um, I was drawing, Tyler, I was drawing two other books, and one of them was really cool with this ogre guy in it and everything. And I was like, okay, this, this Monty the Traveling Cat is cute. I'm going to do the best I can. But, man, I really like, like drawing this book called Rufus Tweed, you know. I think, Rufus Tweed, this is cool. No, Monty the Traveling Cat won. It got an honorable mention in the Hollywood book fast. So it's like, so you don't always know it's going to be a hit. So, but you can't so, count on that your book's going to sell a million copies either. So you want to keep everything, breaking it all back down to where we started here. Cost effective, you know, somebody going into it new, got to keep price down, got to keep the cost down, overhead down. It makes it a more uh, reasonable product for people to buy. Well, that kind of gets into my next question. I, I want to be pretty technical here, but um, you said you can't always tell what, what which one is going to do well and which isn't, but... As far as, as choosing illustrations and actually placing them on the page and thinking about things like text and white space, I mean, if an author came to you and said they wanted you know, 50 illustrations and you think they can get by with just 12, um, are, are there hard or fast rules or suggested rules as to how much of the illustration sh- or how much the illustration should cover the page or alternating a, a white page with an illustrated page? And, you know, um, I give them the, I give them a suggestion. The yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, whether the text is actually in the illustration, where there's an area mm-hmm. that's kind of open where it can freely float, or right. where there's a facing page, full page illustration with uh, the text, like on the right hand side, uh, left hand is the illustration, or it's a breakout. Let's say it's uh, the illustration is like the top two thirds of the page, and the text runs underneath it. Something. I make suggestions for all of that stuff. Um, and I'm trying to do it in a cost-effective way. Now, if somebody really wants to hire me for a bunch of double-spread illustrations, which there's been a series of books I've been doing that, where the illustration is one huge illustration that runs across the left of the right-hand page. Mm-hmm. And if they really want me to do that, and if I like the story, and they don't mind you know, paying the money or whatever, you know, I, I give them a price quote, uh, that's fine. I, I can do that. 
but I still make a recommendation to them. It's whatever they want to. You know, I, I have a right to turn down the story if I don't want to do it. But as an example, there's this one book I um, did recently, and the drawings were, um, let me see, they were eight and a half inches high by 20 inches across. Now, the book is actually, when it's printed, it's going to be eight and a half high by 10. So eight by 10 size book, kind of landscape dimension there. But you know what? Every one of those double spread illustrations that goes across with the text could have been one single illustration. There was no advantage to doing that, none, other than that the author wanted to do that. It wasn't a scenic outdoor scene. It was all indoors, in fact. It was a little girl talking to her mom in a kitchen. I mean, here's the refrigerator, here's the table, here's the door, here's the window. I mean, I could see it if it was nice and shining armor and, armor and they were out in the wilderness or, or something, or, or space or something, some majestic setting there. So, you know, I'll still make the suggestion, but if, if I like the story and, and they don't mind, you know, they can, they can, I, I can still accept something. Oh, well. <laughs> Great. Let's let's talk a little bit about uh, how did you get involved with the the kicks people? And I know whenever I teach something, I end up learning a lot. And and you're basically teaching drawing. Is that true? Yeah. Um, well, the uh, kicks club is a television show that uh, that uh, is on eight different um, Christian cable network networks. And I approach those people that uh, operate the show during this just last summer because I noticed that their character that was on the TV show, there was no books available. I, go I Googled the character, and I thought, I wonder if there's a book available on, on this puppet character, and there wasn't. Mm -hmm. So I approached them, and I said, um, I'm an illustrator. Have you ever thought about writing a book about this guy? Well, then one thing led to another, and uh, we started they, – they sent us a high-definition TV camera, here to Grand Haven from Ohio, Sunbury, Ohio, their offices. And we started taping stuff up here, and they just started feeding it into the Kicks Club show. So actually, my son and I have been on there, and we're working on uh, putting together a show called Drawing for Kicks. And um, we're working on some material for it, and there's some scheduling dates that we're kind of eyeballing on it. And it'll basically be me teaching kids how to draw, like how to draw an elephant or how to draw a cartoon-looking lion or something like that. But actually, I've taught illustration for uh, 28, 29 years, something like that, at area schools, colleges, um, events, uh, probably over 15,000 kids in the last almost 30 years where I've taught them how to draw uh, as far as cartoons and comics and stuff like that. So it's really nothing new. It's just that there happens to be a camera there and it'll be on television. Uh, so it, it's it's fun though. My son gets to be with me. He's ten years old. He likes it. He thinks it's cool, and it's for a good cause. You know, ministry reaches a lot of kids globally, and so so we're happy about it. But it's, it's a new it's a new way to do things. You know, teaching kids how to draw on television. Well, it's not new, but um, I'm going to try to present it in a fresh way. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like it's going to be uh, a lot of fun. Now. I wonder if you have any marketing advice for, you know, after the book is in print, because you've probably done a lot of things, I'm guessing, like maybe in school or library presentations, or just just give us some of your best hints. Uh, well, if somebody has a book, they, you know, they're a new, newly published author, um, one good thing to do is send out review copies. And sometimes reviewers online that are credible that actually have a bunch of hits or traffic going to their sites We'll take a PDF of the book, which is, you know, portable document format. 
So you don't have to actually sometimes send a reviewer a print copy. Because, you know, authors, somebody's brand new and they get their books, and if the publisher isn't a mainstream publisher that contracts you and fronts the bill and, and gives you a royalty, if you're self-published, you have to kind of go all this route yourself. Or traditional mainstream publishers will send out review copies. Maybe they're not all the places you want, but they'll send some out. But as, as a self-published author, you can't send a, P, a request a PDF of your book from the publisher and then send that document out. And some people do not require a print copy to review your book. So that'll help. That'll get online. Then you can get online and look for opportunities for people to interview you. Um, well, there's a, lot, there's a lot of different marketing things you can do. You can create a blog or create a website based on your book. But um, it's always kind of hit and miss. You don't know what's really going to work. And it helps, like you said, Victor, to go into area schools and read part of the book and talk. So, you know, you, people think global all the time and national. You know, you can sell quite a few books in your own town. You can go to the newspaper and get some press about it. Sometimes they'll write an article if it's a certain angle on the story and give you some publicity. You can do book signings. I've never had much success with those. Um, events are more popular. You know, events where people are having fun and kids are there and you're signing books or reading the books, stuff like that. But nothing is a sure bet either. Example, my wife and I had a book published called Joy the Jellyfish from Dragonfly Publishing out in Colorado. She wrote it. I illustrated it. And it came out a year ago. Very sweet book. I mean, it's really cool. You'd like nice, colorful illustrations, a sweet little story about how to make friends when you're nearly invisible and transparent. <laughs> Nobody can see you. you know, that's what this jellyfish is all about. Actually, in real life, they'll just sting you to death. You know, <laughs> In the book, it's a cute little... It's a cute little jellyfish, and it's so transparent that everybody misses it. It doesn't mean they don't even see her, so she's looking for friends. Well, it's a good story. It looks really great. And we built a website a year ago, enjoythejellyfish.blogspot.com. And uh, the book has probably sold you know, uh, as few as 100 copies or less. You know, it's like, whoa, huh. what happened there? But the website in one year has 15,000 hits. So people are going there to the website to download coloring play pages and play games and all that kind of stuff. But that's an example of how something can be created to generate publicity for the book, but the book didn't sell that much. So you try hmm. a little bit of everything. And sometimes you, you hit, it's like playing bingo. Sometimes your number comes up. But dive, you know, be, uh, spread yourself out. Try a lot of different things. It's like if I played bingo, I'd put a little, little chip on every little spot. Instead of putting a big stack on one little square, I'm going to spread it all around. That way you're winning something all the time. Yeah, that makes sense. Keep the feelers out and, and see what gets bites. Right. Whatever you get a response on, do a little more of that. Yeah. All right. Well, Kevin, I really want to thank you for taking time out to be with Tyler and me. And so I know you're really busy all the time. And this has been a very valuable show. Well, thanks. Hey, and it's been fun working with you, too, Victor. Great. Thanks for the, uh, the opportunity to do a book for you also. That was sweet. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed working with you. Now, let's make sure we plug all your websites. The big one is Kevin Scott Collier. Uh, yeah, C-O-L-L-I-E-R.com. Yeah, that's the main one. So That's the real deal, Victor. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, thank you. And you've been listening to another podcast edition of Authors Access where authors get published and published authors get successful. We'll be back on the air November 6th, 2008, when our topic will be 
The Publishing Revolution and How It Affects You, the Aspiring Author. And our guest who will be joining us is Valerie Connolly. You can learn more about all our guests on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. We'd love to hear from you about tonight's show. Please send your questions and comments to info at authorsaccess.com. Authors Access is a joint production of Reader Views Incorporated and Loving Healing Press. For Reader Views, this is Tyler Tischler in Marquette, Michigan. For Loving Healing Press, this is Victor Volkman in Ann Arbor, Michigan, wishing you all a good evening.